Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health, lifestyle. These animals, they end up dying and we end up, you know, eating these animals and they have been fed with antibiotics. So if you end up purchasing uh, a meat which has been fed by antibiotics and that animal ended up developing antibiotic resistance, that ends up being conferred to us humans. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast. The show about food, lifestyle, medicine, and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor, I study nutrition, and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best life. My guest today is Dr. Ravina Kular. She's an infectious diseases global expert and researcher who has spent almost 15 years researching in the infectious disease space. And I just want to lead with this again. I know I've mentioned it before, but if we don't take action now, then 30 years from now, over 10 million people will die every single year due to antibiotic resistant infections. And I'll be honest, this was a really uncomfortable and scary podcast to record because there isn't much positivity at the end of it, if I'm being quite frank. I know Dame Sally, who we've had on the podcast talking about this subject, is a lot more positive. But there is a bit of doom and gloom, and I think we actually need to harness that negative energy to provide us with the impetus to do something about this impending situation. Dr. Ravina is actively leading strategies worldwide to educate the public about various infectious disease topics, and she's actually done three TED Talks. I've done one, and that's scary enough, but she's done three, where she describes a really harrowing personal story about how she got into the field herself. And I highly recommend you you watch that as a starter to this podcast because that kind of sets the scene as to why she is so passionate about talking about the subject and making sure everyone is aware of this impending issue, which is the fact that antibiotics will not work in just a few decades from now. 
She's also published 40 research papers and has been invited to speak worldwide. So it was an absolute pleasure to have her spend some time on the pod with me. She's been an advocate during this COVID-19 pandemic, educating the public about various issues to do with COVID-19. And I really do hope you take some tips from this podcast and look into the subject a bit more. I know it is anxiety provoking, but it's definitely something that we all need to be more aware of. So without further ado, this is my conversation with Dr. Ravina Kalar. So Dr. Ravina Kalar, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Um, It's been a pleasure already. I know we've been chatting before, but um, watching your three TED Talks really gave me an understanding of where you're coming from, your story. Um, and it's wonderful for you to contribute to the series that we're doing on uh, antimicrobial resistance. I-, I wonder if you could take us back and uh, tell us about where you grew up and, and how you got into clinical medicine. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. This is such an honor to be on. I I have fallen into this area of infectious diseases. Uh, it's quite a story. First of all, I grew up in the UK, lived there till I was 12 years old. And um, my family and I, we moved to the US then. And uh, we moved to Pittsburgh of all places. And I just moved around a lot for school. And, um, and I ended up doing my residency and my fellowship in Detroit, Michigan. And and it actually wasn't my number one choice for a residency. I was looking to move to California. I, UCSD, San Diego was my number one choice. But, you know, things happen for a reason. And I ended up in Detroit. And that is actually the mecca of antibiotic resistance. That's where the first vanco-resistant Staph aureus strain was identified. So just to tell you, you know, about how you know, what, an, what, a, what a pivotal time that was is that we saw a lot of these resistant organisms there. And as a young clinician at that time, that's where I saw the true issue of antibiotic resistance, where one of my patients ended up passing away very young, very healthy, and he never ended up making it because he was uh, unfortunately prescribed several antibiotics when he did not need them. And when he actually needed an antibiotic, um, he was resistant to every single antibiotic. And that's what forged me um, to do my first TED Talk and then uh, led me to giving two additional TED Talks. And um, it was definitely a pivotal moment. He was a young 29-year-old, just got back from his honeymoon and he went skiing and he fell and required surgery. He ended up requiring a uh, an uh, uh, he ended up acquiring an infection after that surgery where you know he developed an infection and it, he was resistant to everything and it, and it was shocking to me because he was healthy he was young but his background he had been placed on numerous courses of antibiotics for sinusitis which is a mm. viral infection did not even need antibiotics and. He never made it to his one-year wedding anniversary, and it was um, it was very uh, disheartening seeing uh, what uh, effect antibiotics could have. Um, and many people they see it as candy. Many clinicians do, and it's it has dire circumstances down the line. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you told that brutal story uh, on on your TED talk, and. I think that what really hurts home, particularly as a clinician, um, and especially from my perspective as a general practitioner, 
where we see a lot of these quote unquote simple cases of things like sinusitis and stuff. And we've definitely got a lot more educated um, here in the UK about uh, limited use uh, of, of antimicrobials. But the cumulative impact of those antimicrobials every year, every year. And I, even today, I still see patients who have that kind of trajectory. And for that to culminate in a horrific scenario because of that that list of, and the number of times that particular patient has had uh, antimicrobials throughout their lifetime, it, it's just absolutely heartbreaking. But the reality is, and you hit home uh, this in your, in your TED talk very, very pr- pretty profoundly is this is going to become the norm unless we do something about it now. Yeah. Yeah. You're uh, Yeah. I mean, you know, we have to take action right now. You know, we should have taken action 20 years ago, 10 years ago, mm. but every single day, you know, my current practice setting is a long-term care setting. Now I see pay, uh, nursing home residents and they are put on antibiotics just in case every day I'm fighting mm-hmm. that fight for that long-term care resident and their family members because, you know, they're placed on antibiotics because they have so many other things going on. I think it almost makes a clinician feel better that they're on an antibiotic. So, yeah, we have to take action now. And every single person matters because, you know, antibiotics are so different where not only does it affect the person that is taking that antibiotic, but it affects the entire environment and other people which have not even taken an antibiotic. So that's what makes antibiotics, antibiotic resistance so different than a chemotherapy agent where those side effects only affect, you know, that individual person or, or, or another drug. And that's where, you know, there's this whole issue about antibiotic resistance affecting the community, affecting the environment because it just um, has such an interplay there, interconnection with uh, affecting every single uh, person and affecting the entire society. I, I wonder if you could give us a perspective on just how um, easy it is for bacteria, these microbes in particular, to mutate and, and outsmart our limited defenses in the form of the medications that we currently have. Yeah, I mean, if we think about it, I... I I like to talk about microbes as them being so much smarter than us. They've been around for 3.5 million years. I mean, that's a substantial, uh, 3.5 billion years. That's a substantial longer time than any of us humans have existed on this earth. And it only takes them about 30 minutes to multiply. So, you know, you you have these microbes, these uh, bacteria, and you have random natural mutations that exist where some bacteria are just naturally resistant to antibiotics. And when when then they're hit by antibiotics, the susceptible bacteria, they're going to die. But these resistant bacteria, they're going to survive. And these resistant bacteria, they now have room to grow and thrive and multiply. And they now are able to transfer their DNA onto other bacteria. And that's just, uh, that's how this antibiotic resistance spreads. It only takes them 30 minutes to multiply, and there you have this uh, this surplus of antibiotic resistance. is very very easy, and these microbes are so smart. 
Mm. Yeah, I, rem- I remember looking at some diagrams actually of just how easy it is for um, bacteria, mi- microbes to 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 change and to actually share information. It's almost like these communities that all have this common goal to just survive. And I think right now uh, in um, in a situation where we're learning about virulent strains of the current pandemic virus, uh, I, I think it's an easier idea for people to understand. But the reality is this has been happening all along and, th- and this is the really scary pandemic and i don't don't mean to catastrophize but this is something we really need to start having a conversation about now to prevent an even worse pandemic than the one that we're seeing that's so true i mean right now we're in this covid-19 pandemic we have been in a huge uh it, there's been a existing i would say almost pandemic of antibiotic resistance ongoing and I think COVID-19 has shed light on this issue of infectious diseases, first of all. Second of all, it has brought up this issue of variants, of mutations, and what dire circumstances they could have. We have three, four variants that are existing in this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. uh, That just shows how easy it is for viruses, for bacteria to mutate very quickly and have a very bad effect on society. Uh, people are very concerned about these variants that, that have come about uh, for COVID-19. For bacteria, it, it takes even a shorter amount of time for them to multiply and mutate. So, um, you know, to the point where we have actually no antibiotics for some of these resistant bacteria because uh, the pipeline is completely dry of any antibiotics coming about that have a unique mechanism of action that Mm. to my mind is very scary yeah absolutely and i I think you know i had no idea about um detroit in particular being the epicenter of of vancomycin resistant bacteria i mean that that's that's super scary when you think about just how broad spectrum uh, an antibiotic those are but uh, I wonder um, if you could shed some light on your experience during COVID-19 and, and your own. I know you mentioned uh, your clinical duties, but I guess everyone is sort of clambering for your opinion on things right now and, and how we're handling uh, this current pandemic with the perspective that you know all well about, about antimicrobial resistance, which is something that's in perhaps, yes, 10, 20 years in the future, but it's, it's something that we have to deal with now. Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, just taking a step back, this COVID-19 pandemic, we've seen, first of all, how how much in need of proper diagnostic tests there needs to be. I mean, the Achilles heel of this pandemic has been proper diagnostic testing, uh, where it is able to actually uh, pick out, um, uh, you know, the virus, even when you may have a low viral count. Um, you know, the, this whole issue of asymptomatic COVID-19 cannot be detected by a diagnostic test because it's not sensitive enough. That's concerning. I mean, why are we here in 2021 and there hasn't been a diagnostic test that's been created to pick up, um, you know, that's that, that's sensitive enough. So then translating this into antibiotic resistance Diagnostic testing, uh, rapid diagnostic testing is crucial to preventing um, antibiotics from even being initiated. And there being antibiotics which are stopped early on because, uh, because it's able to be identified early on that this is not a bacteria, this is a virus, or this is not even a, an infection. 
Um, so I think diagnostic testing is really important to tackle this issue of antibiotic resistance and tackle this pandemic as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I spoke um, with Dame Sally Davies about the, the, the current state of clinical medicine where you're almost practicing with your hands tied behind your back. You, you essentially have to practice poor microbial um, practices by dishing out anti, uh, antimicrobials and then waiting on investigations to come back sometimes two, three, four days later as well, depending on which lab you're using. And this is the state of play and it has been throughout my medical career over the last decade. But, you know, is there any anything on the horizon that could change that? Because really it's all about investigations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what, you know, there are rapid tests that are available. And I think that um, institutions, they need to embrace them more. There's rapid tests, which we have. And I think, you know, many institutions, they see it as an initial cost barrier from the get-go, mm. but the cost, uh, the benefit that comes out, the, the cost is diminished long-term in terms of the healthcare costs, the uh, burden for antibiotic resistance. So I think it, at least for antibiotic resistance, it's embracing those rapid tests that are able to really uh, pick out that organism early on and, and, and embracing that. We have them available and why not embrace it? Uh, and I think also in terms of what the government needs to do is really um, find ways to, to create more to, or, or, or to, to help with development, to help um, you know, organizations, to help diagnostic companies in developing more diagnostic tests. Um, now the government can step in and help and assure that that's a priority as well. Yeah, I'm aware that the UK government have uh, committed um, a relatively small amount of money. This is a few years ago, actually, during a different government um, toward uh, research and development for new antimicrobials, but investigation obviously has to go hand in hand with that. I wonder if you have a perspective on the um, current practices uh, of patients who are admitted with COVID-19. Uh, my experience is that we are having to use antimicrobials at the moment because we are very much reacting to uh, the issue of secondary bacterial infections after having a primary cytokine storm that leads to uh, the issues that we're seeing patients um, suffering with. Um, is, this, is there some best practices that you, you think we could be doing better uh, when it comes to the, the, the huge issue of uh, AMR? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as a clinician, we, we feel comfortable just giving the patient something, even though we know it's wrong. And that's an antibiotic. So yeah, so a patient comes in, they're febrile, they have this cytokine storm picture. We know it's a virus, but we reach for an antibiotic. So I think we have to retrain ourselves to sit and wait and be patient. So, you know, like if they're placed on appropriate appropriate treatment get from the get-go, uh, we know steroids work. We know we have an antiviral that um, we have remdesivir that's available um, you know, in those mild, moderate cases, uh, we have agents which are not antibiotics, which have been shown to be effective in helping um, a patient from deteriorating from COVID-19. It's going to take time for them to, to get better. Antibiotics are not going to help with that picture. So I think it's about reminding ourselves that these patients, they are hospitalized, they have COVID-19, 
it's going to take time for them to get better. Using an antibiotic is not going to help with that. Yeah. It's going to actually yeah. lead to other effects such as C. diff, a uh, spore-forming um, organism that is highly transmissible where they have persistent diarrhea. Mm. Um, so I, I think it's this whole issue about just us clinicians being patient. It's hard for us to be. Yeah, I know. I, I, you almost have this itch um, to do something when someone presents with something. I mean, pandemic aside, uh, I, I think a, a combination, it's been documented quite a bit actually in um, general practice journals about the need to reach for your prescription pad. And sometimes it really takes uh, a bit of humility, uh, a bit of patience and demonstrating to the patient, you don't always come here for a pill. Uh, it, it, sometimes it's advice, sometimes it's listening. Uh, and particularly from a general practitioner's point of view, less so, let's say, acute medicine, um, that is th the best option. Um, I, 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 yeah, sorry. I, I was just going to say, you know, it's crazy. In medical school, it's amazing how much time we spend on memorizing information only to forget it days later. And in all that time spent on memorization, a reflex is created like pairing bacteria with antibiotics. But in that in that education that we've learned, I think what's lost is the appropriateness of treatment. You know, we mm. and we should be teaching not just what an antibiotic, what antibiotic to use, but also when to use it. And I think that that's mm. something that we that just needs to be taught from the beginning. This reflex that is created as medical providers, you know, is appropriateness for that mm, mm, absolutely and you know i, I want to talk about um antimicrobials beyond medicine um because i i think we we have a general steer about what we can do in, in medicine reduce the unnecessary use of them uh try and re-educate patients about demanding any antimicrobials and the detrimental impacts that can have as well as uh better investigations i think think those are sort of the the trifecta of things that we can do um with, with their medicine but this conversation around microbial resistance extends far beyond medicine doesn't it i wonder if you could touch on other ways in which um this sort of issue is is evolving you're, you're completely right. I mean, if you think about it, antibiotics, about 70% of antibiotics are actually given to animals. They aren't given to humans. And that's where a lot of the misuse has come about. And this translates into um, humans developing antibiotic resistance. But so say, you know, in the farm, um, in the farming community, unfortunately, uh, there's bad practices that are followed where uh, there's several animals which are all huddled together and they just inevitably, inevitably develop infections. And so what these farmers do is that they give these animals antibiotics prophylactically to prevent them from getting infections. And, um, and that leads to antibiotic resistance. These animals, they end up dying and we end up, you know, eating these animals and they have been fed with antibiotics. So if you end up purchasing uh, a meat which has been fed by antibiotics and that animal ended up developing antibiotic resistance, that ends up being conferred to us humans. 
we end mm -hmm. up having antibiotic resistance conferred onto us. So I think it all goes back to not only does there need to be proper practices followed in human behavior in antibiotic use, but animals and agriculture as well. You look at India and India, um, samples of water have been um, have been um, isolated out where there's antibiotic resistance in that water. And uh, that's concerning where the water, where even plants um, have antibiotic resistance. So it, it's an entire environmental issue uh, that we need to tackle here. Yeah, I was pretty shocked to hear about the use of antimicrobials actually on plants as well. I, I, I can't think of why that practice is necessary? Is, is that something you've come across? Yeah, I mean, it, it happens in, um, in, for instance, in India, where, you know, these, uh, these, these fruits, these uh, plants, they have, uh, they're being sprayed with antibiotics to uh, help them potentially thrive uh, better mm. to be uh, sold at a higher rate, which uh, does not, uh, that's not a good practice. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's what's being done in certain parts and that's not, it's not helping us with this whole antibiotic resistance crisis. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds with the way things are and how, despite the pandemic, we're still very disconnected when it comes to a universal solution to things like agricultural practices uh, I mean, the dreaded Brexit is is also defining that for us as well. I mean, we've been pretty well protected from antibiotic-fed uh, cattle, but but everything's up for up for grabs now. Um, it, it sounds as if this is inevitable. Am I right in saying that, or do you, do you believe that we can actually stop this happening? I unfortunately think that this is inevitable. And I think this COVID uh, pandemic has not helped out at all because, you know, just as we were speaking about, uh, antibiotics have been used um, mm. uh, to fight a viral infection. So, you know, if anything, things have gotten worse during this pandemic. And, uh, and it's concerning because there are no novel antibiotics in the pipeline. So I think it's inevitable. I think that mm. the government, uh, the World Health Organization has taken a stance to say that this is a priority. But unfortunately, I think that shifted now that we're in a pandemic where this has been left to the wayside and we'll tackle this afterwards. Uh, but this needs to be tackled every day. And, and some action items is us as clinicians, we need to keep in mind of every time we reach for that antibiotic, think twice. I think we need to think about infection prevention. You know, that's something that has been, mm. um, that has been definitely put on the forefront here during this COVID uh, pandemic, that infection prevention is key. Hand washing, uh, making sure that, um, you know, we follow good infection prevention uh, procedures, vaccines. Vaccines prevent any of these, uh, you know, bacteria or viruses from even happening. So, you know, those are just some low-hanging fruit measures that we can do uh, to prevent uh, uh, antibiotics from even being used. Yeah, I, th you know, I think, and this is why I was, I'm very keen to talk about this, even though it's a very uncomfortable subject to talk about, particularly in the midst of a global situation which is already having a significant impact on people's mental health. We, we do need to talk about this because this is, like you said, inevitable. And the, the way you talked about it during your talks, I, I remember thinking, 
you're giving us some advice to slow the crisis, but I, I haven't come across many people who think we can avoid this crisis in its entirety. There are some people who are a little bit more glass half full than others, but but on the face of it, it doesn't seem very positive. And and I think when you line up everything against each other and the the big sort of you know sixth max extinction events and and things that are going to inevitably lead to the demise of the human race you've got the environment as one you have global war as another antimicrobial resistance seems pretty high on that list for me now after having these kind of conversations it is you know i'm a very optimistic person but i'm very pessimistic about this uh, antibiotic resistant crisis and it's scary thinking that you know uh, my future kids that I may have may be left in an era where there are zero antibiotics to treat a simple wound uh, uh, for, you know, for simple infections. And that's really concerning. And, you know, that's why, you know, I stated in one of my TED Talks that, um, you know, having emotion without action is irrelevant. So every time, every day I, I live and practice educating about antibiotic resistance. And I think if everyone took that mantra to antibiotic use, we would be in a better scenario now. Um, and, you know, we, things would be turning, uh, turning the, the tide for the better for antibiotic resistance. So uh, I'm very concerned. I preach it every day. I, every single one of my patients that's placed in the antibiotic, I, I fight for them to be off of it if I don't think it's appropriate. And all of us clinicians need to do that. Fight for that patient, fight for society, fight for us to have antibiotics for our kids and our grandkids. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. You um, look, we, like we said at the start, you've done three TED Talks. Um, in the first one, I believe you gave us uh, three tips, but you've since extended that. I, I wonder if you could give us uh, an insight into the things that we can do as consumers to lessen or, or slow um, the, the the rise of antimicrobial resistance? Uh, number one, if you get an antibiotic at an urgent care set, setting, which most antibiotics are prescribed there, think twice. Uh, you know, ask that clinician. It's okay to question them. Why is this antibiotic being prescribed? What are the consequences? Have open discussions about that. I think that that openness about antibiotic resistance that that's needed to get that messaging out. So number one, that as consumers. Uh, number two, don't think that um, that antibiotics are will be around forever. You know, think about every time you you reach for that antibiotic. Number three, uh, infection prevention. Just as I stated, I think you know, washing hands, being mindful about even getting an infection um, is is important. And and number four is uh, is also as consumers is get vaccinated. You know, I think the vaccine uh, hesitancy community has, um, it, it's been so prevalent now during this COVID pandemic. And I don't think that we should question science. Vaccines have been around for centuries and they have helped in curbing uh, both viral infections and bacterial infections. And we need to embrace that science and we need to trust science and, and help these infections from even happening. Yeah, you know the the everything that we're talking about today kind of reminds me of an era before antimicrobials existed and the number of people that died from infectious disease, uh, and also with with your comments about vaccines as well, the eradication uh, of, of smallpox and the 
the amount of human suffering that we've had to endure. And I think we've got quite comfortable in uh, a scenario where we don't have to deal with these uh, conditions and we've conveniently forgotten about just how privileged and luxurious our lives are without the interference of of microbes. And, and I think that's another thing that has spearheaded sort of people's um, lack of awareness about the science and just how much uh, that's afforded us in terms of uh, our, our relatively protected lifestyles. Is that something that you, you, you thought about or you agree with? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I, I think that, you know, this, uh, I think unfortunately during this pandemic, science has been questioned. And I think that we need to uh, put that in the forefront in terms of thinking about, um, you know, not questioning science, science, all of the uh, all of the guidance that's put out by the CDC, by the World Health Organization, by various different go- governmental boards, it's all backed by science. And we need to trust that. And uh, vaccines, they, they've been around for a while and, and, and they have advanced, they've uh, expanded um, life in terms of um, you know, us not having to have those infections here anymore. Um, I do mm. want to bring up one other thing as well. You know, we brought up livestock. So that's another thing that consumers can do as well is, you know, a lot of these fast food chains, they unfortunately, um, you know, serve uh, meat that is been um, th- that has antibiotics in it. So uh, there's a scorecard that's been created where you can look and see which fast food chains um, have actually ranked the highest in terms of not having antibiotic fed um, fed meat there. And, and I would uh, advocate for that by going to those places that only serve, you know, uh, antibiotic free meat. And, um, and if they don't, you know, writing in to those places saying that that's what's needed, you need to, uh, you know, advocate for that for not uh, serving or purchasing meat that has been fed with antibiotics. Yeah. Do, do you think this, and, and I'm not, uh, a vegetarian or vegan uh, or 100% plant-based, but although I am largely plant-based, do you think there is a role for uh, a completely plant-based um, diet for the human race if we are serious about uh, slowing antimicrobial resistance? I mean, I, I think we don't need to be as drastic as going plant-based. I think that we, you know, we can think about ways to... Um, to better manage these animals, which are raised in the farm. You know, why are we cramping up all of these animals in uh, in a honestly detrimental area? I mean, it's honestly animal abuse is what I see it as. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it, it can just be handled in that way. It's not, uh, not having animal abuse and then giving them antibiotics because they're gonna inevitably get infections and really raising up these animals in an appropriate way to prevent infections and uh, prevent antibiotics from even uh, being given to these animals. Yeah, yeah. In in a in a sort of um, in a way, what the way I see a potential solution, and, and I, I'm not trying to suggest that we can figure this out on this podcast here at all. But uh, if we were to slow um, the rise of antimicrobial resistance such that you know we prevent that scary number of around was it 10 million people dying of infectious diseases every year by uh, is it 2050? Is that is that? Yeah, correct? that's right. One 10 million per year worldwide. That's one person dying every three seconds, which is mind boggling. <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely mind-boggling. And and I think, it, you know, even in the context of the current pandemic, which has been absolutely drastic, we're, we're not near that number at all. But that, that aside, if we were to slow um, the... The, the, the rise of antimicrobial resistance and, and we were to figure out better ways of producing food perhaps even cell-based foods or uh, better uh, formed foods that didn't actually require any sort of farming industry that that relied on cramping animals together giving them antimicrobials not only from the perspective of fattening that but but also from um, uh, from actually treating them if they do become ill because of those conditions. It, do you think that could be a way in ways in which we could at least give us some, some more time or an, an extended period of time where we can figure something out? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think you're completely right in terms of if we can find other ways, uh, you know, to uh, other ways, you know, like, you know, uh, to the, to give, uh, not give, to mitigate giving antibiotics in those scenarios, which goes into that plant-based, goes into other mechanisms. I think uh, that might that might help support this, um, uh, prevent or curb antibiotic resistance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for for joining me on this. Uh, and and hopefully, you know, the the more I talk about it and. You know, I, I'm hesitant to talk about it so much because I feel like it's a really doom and gloom subject, but it kind of has to be had uh, more often than I'm having currently. So I really appreciate the work that you're doing and um, and the, the work that you will continue to do as well uh, on a patient patient level, uh, as well as on, a, on a, a much grander scale. Thank you, Rupi. This has been amazing. And I really hope the viewers uh, can can take heedance and think twice before they take an antibiotic, educate others. And that's the only way that, you know, we're going to spread this message of the dire circumstance that we're in with this antibiotic resistance crisis. Thank you so much for listening today. I know it was a heavy topic to discuss, but it's definitely something I think we all need to have the courage and be brave enough to talk about because we all can do things to slow this issue. And hopefully we can not just slow, but actually prevent what is currently inevitable if we don't do anything about it. Please do go check out those TED Talks with Dr. Ravina Clark. You can find out more information on thedoctorskitchen.com. For now, I will see you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.